Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 10th chapter. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them all ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborers deserve to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat whatever is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me. And whoever rejects you rejects me. Whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you nevertheless. Do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated, and the children may come forward for a children's sermon. know how it goes. All right. I've got a question for you. Do you have a garden? Yes. Yes. Two. Two? Nice. <laughs> have you ever had a garden before or is this your first one? Not so well? So you're trying it out again. See if it's going to work. Do you have a garden, Cooper? Tomato plants. Ooh, tomato plants. We nice. Have one next to the shop and one in, in front of our house. Alright. Now what all work have you had to do with these gardens so far? What did you do at the very beginning in the spring? Plant the plants with seeds. Had to plant the plants. Did you have to turn the soil over at all? Alright. So you did a little bit of cultivation. You planted the plants. Is that it? No. What else? 
All right. So you have to plant them right. You have to water them. Did you have to do any weeding? Yes, um, when, um, we, we, there's fruits and vegetables. Fruits and vegetables. Okay, so you have a variety of things in there. We have a fruit garden and a flower garden. Very cool. And we have to guard our food garden so no animals come munching mm -hmm. fruit. Yeah, you got to make sure that animals don't snatch it up and eat it before you get to it. Very good. So what do you think you're going to have to do in the fall? Or here in a couple weeks as stuff starts to come in? Yeah. Harvest. Harvest. Very good. Amanda knows where we're going. Let me ask you. I've got a specific harvest in mind. Have you ever had to uh, husk corn before or shuck corn? You know sweet corn? Corn on the cob? Yeah. You know the outside of it? The green stuff that you have to pull off? Have you ever had to do that before? Yeah. Yeah? A lot of times. There was one time when I was about Amanda's age that my dad and my mom decided we were going to can corn. Have you ever canned corn before? Yeah? Okay. We were going to do a lot of it. And so my dad got his big pickup truck. You ever seen a really big pickup truck? No. And he filled the entire back of it with sweet corn. That's a lot of corn, isn't it? And we had to spend all day out there sitting on the edge of the truck, and he did not park in the shade. <laughs> And we peeled every single ear of corn. Every single one. Now, how do you think I felt by the end of that? Tired. Tired. Very good. Do you think I was itchy? A little bit. Yep, there's some itchy going on. There were plenty of bugs. <laughs> it was not my favorite thing. But was there another way of getting this done? Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, you can, um, you can have a... You can have a home security. Oh, no. Nope. You can have a person do all the work for you. Yeah, you can have someone else do the work. But if the work still has to get done, right? If you want to eat corn, does the corn have to get shucked? Yeah. Yeah. Someone's got to do the work. That's kind of what the Bible story is about today. <clears throat> and in what God does in this world, God does a lot of the work on God's own. But sometimes God calls us to do stuff. God calls us to be generous with what we have. God calls us to be with the people who are most in need. So those who are poor, and those who are sick, and those who are lonely. God calls us to be obedient and listen to our parents. Now other people are going to do this, but that doesn't get all the work done. God needs you to do those things, and no one else but you. <laughs> Unlike shucking corn, you can't just give the work to someone else. No. Now, first and foremost, what did I want you to remember, no matter what? Every week I say this. Right. Hmm? <laughs> I say this more. That God loves you, no matter what. God loves you no matter what. And in that love, God's calling you to be generous, to be kind, to be obedient, to do the work of God in this world. Do you think you can do that? Yeah. Good. Keep that confidence. It's going to come in handy. Should we pray? Yes. Let's pray. <laughs> I like praying. Dear God, we do like praying.
We like that you're with us. We like that you love us. We like that you're near to us. In the midst of this prayer, we ask that you're with us now, that you guide us in what you would have us do in this world, and that if there's work to be done, we might do it. In your name we pray. Amen. Snacks? I don't know if I brought any today. Yeah, I did. <laughs> it's just those two kinds. There you go. name of Jesus. Amen. A turning point in any society, in any culture, is hard to predict. Almost no one goes into an experience that becomes a turning point eventually in the course of history, at least one that we point to in our history books, intending for it to be a turning point. They're just living life. They might be trying to do work of justice, they might be trying to do work of mercy, but very rarely do people know they're changing the course of history as they act. Next year, in October, we'll celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. In 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg door. He was looking for a conversation, not a new church, not a new denomination. He's looking for a conversation. But somehow by that action, at least in history, we point to it and say, this is where it began. This is where the turning point happened. Where all of a sudden momentum was there, where all of a sudden ideas were there, where all of a sudden passion was there in ways that it hadn't been before. And there's nothing unique about what Luther did. But there is something significant. Over the course of this weekend, we celebrate uh, our independence. And while the 4th of July has become a place to celebrate U.S. identity, at one point it was to celebrate U.S. sovereignty. And we point to several moments throughout history as turning points, places where we understand who we are as a nation. Or the parks, when she didn't give up her seat, was intending to act justly, was intending to act correctly, but was not aware that she would change the course of history in the way that she did. Was not aware that she would become a turning point in the civil rights movement and in the U.S. culture that still echoes profoundly today. In the text today, there's 70 people that are sent out. <laughs> 70 others. These aren't the disciples. 70 others were sent out to places where Jesus knew he was going to go, where Jesus intended to go, at the very least. And this actually became a turning point for Jesus' ministry in the area because afterwards there is a lot of passion about what Jesus is doing. Afterwards there's a lot of knowledge about who Jesus is in the area. Afterwards his legend precedes him. At this point, 
We see a turning point in the ministry of Christ, and they didn't know it was going to happen beforehand. Turning points are rarely something we can predict, but they are always something that takes work. We must always work in the turning points. Three weeks ago, to this day, what happened? Orlando. In Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida, a gunman entered and significantly changed the lives of those there and the way that we consider ourselves as a nation. I didn't preach about it for a reason. Because it is very easy for a preacher and for a congregation to be outraged and to be saddened and then to leave it alone. And I'm here to tell you that that is not the work of the kingdom of God. That's simply emotions. And when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the door, it wasn't about emotions. And when Rosa Parks didn't give up her seat, it wasn't about emotions. When we signed the Declaration of Independence, it wasn't about emotions. And if there is any work to be done in this country and making it so people don't die so often, it's not going to be about emotions. The reality of this text today is that there's work to be done. And as Christians, <laughs> we're not called solely into prayer. We're not called solely into emotion. We're not called solely into outreach. We are called to work. I don't think the 70 understood what it meant that the harvest was ready. But they went anyways. I don't think we are going to know the moment when a turning point happens in our communities. We're not going to know the moment when our church is changing. We're not going to know the moment when we're becoming something new and something different. But we will have to work in that moment. And so if you're like me, it's hard to discern what to put effort towards and what to kind of skip on. Which is why you don't skip anything. A clear and consistent calling throughout Jesus' ministry is work. There's grace and there's love and there's mercy. But don't forget the work. Because grace is not grace without it. Mercy is not mercy without it. Love is not love without it. You cannot be loving if you don't work. You cannot be merciful if there's no work. You cannot be graceful if there's no work. <laughs> so I've got one question for us today. In light of a history of turning points 
in light of a nation that seems filled with emotion and with outrage, but very little work. What's your work? It might be that you have a sense of, <laughs> of what God's calling you to do. And it might not be. But you have work. If you sense where God's calling you, do it. It's not for later. And the harvest doesn't stay on the vine very long. Do it now. Let us know what it is so that those of us who have no understanding of where God's calling us might join in too. If you don't know where God's calling you and you can't hear anything, then I encourage you to look in your bulletin, figure out what's going on, and work. I tell you what, there is not a short supply of work to be done in this community, and there is an incredible opportunity to do it. If you think that your abilities are growing, enter into it. If you think your abilities are waning, find new work. But there's not a person within the sound of my voice who is incapable of going out into the field in the work of the kingdom of God. Now this might seem heavy-handed. This might seem rough. It is sometimes. And if this feels heavy-handed to you, if this feels rough to you, <laughs> consider the persecutions that have happened throughout the course of history for those who have entered the harvest. Consider the deaths that have happened purposely and needlessly because of those who have entered the work of the kingdom of God. This isn't as rough as it's going to be but it is as forceful as it needs to be. You are beloved, chosen, people of God. And you've been doing good work so far. But we're not at the end of the race, and I got a heavy feeling that we're not even in the middle. You got to keep going. You got to keep moving. But, just so you have a glimpse of what the 70 saw, I want to give you hope. <laughs> over the course of my over two years here, I've seen incredible things happening with the clergy in the area. They've described to me the way that the climate has been changing. And so even though my eyes are new, it's, it's not just me. The clergy who have been here for a long period of time, not nearly as long as some of us, <laughs> but for a very long time, have seen that there is at least a sense of community that hasn't been Ill present in the congregations before, between congregations, with other congregations. I'm not pointing to you act. I'm not pointing to Vacation Bible School. I'm pointing toward the sense of being willing to support one another. The places that I go and the people that I meet typically point to some place 
and some connection to Trinity outside of what we do specifically for ourselves. We are known increasingly as a community. If I was going to anticipate a harvest, if I was going to anticipate a turning point, this would be it. There's moments happening on a regular basis where we're acting differently than we have before, where new things are happening in ways they might not have before. And people are excited. And people are motivated. And I think we're close to a turning point. It might not be tomorrow, it might not be next year, and it might not be five years from now, but we are the body, I believe, who will experience it. Your work is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. The kingdom of God will come just as we pray every day. God's will will be done. And may it be our hands and feet to accomplish it. God be with you as you go into the field. God give you strength to perform the work. And may God gather us back again rejoicing. Amen.